You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. Alrighty, we are here. Definitely welcoming you to another episode of Cure to Consumption on Hayes Radio. I'm your host, Lance Lambert, and want to thank you again for joining in. We've had a phenomenal run so far, talking to some great people and obviously individuals that are somehow tied to this industry somewhere along that chain from Cure to Consumption, and there's a lot out there. But on this show... We have a really, really special guest because this is a guest, but this is a longtime friend. This is a former colleague, um, someone that I have a a huge level of respect for, Uh, not just because she speaks her mind, but just she's just so well knowledge and is definitely an advocate and supporter of the industry. So I'd love to welcome Rochelle Gordon. Hey there. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. The way you pitched up right there, I feel like we're on the, uh, with the SNL skit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, sh- the sweaty balls. Sweaty balls. <laughs> and you'll get a lot of that, guys. Seriously, the, the relationship and rapport uh, that we have. And we'll get into it right now because, my gosh, I, get, I still smile ear to ear. All the things we've done and places we've been and scenarios we've come across. So, um, but yeah, let's kind of start from the beginning. So a little bit about you, where you're coming from, literally. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the metaphorical. But uh, yeah, where you're coming from and uh, your story is so awesome about your transition into the industry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's start there and then we'll get into some of the nostalgic. Yeah. So, well, I have been a cannabis writer and journalist for five years, but it will surprise people to learn that I was actually a preschool teacher in another life. Yeah. And I actually studied education and really loved it. I really did. And... But I was involved in the culture on Mm. the side after hours, of course. Yeah. And I ended up getting busted um, with a considerable amount of cannabis. I mean, nothing too crazy, but enough to be a felony. Yeah. And so I had to actually stop teaching because of that uh, while I dealt with the charges. And I was able to get into drug court, a diversion program. I'm very, very lucky for that because I know how so many people still today are imprisoned for cannabis. Yep. I'm also not a felon, and I know how detrimental that can be for people to have a felony on your record. Very true. So, but during that time, I had to kind of pivot, right? And I ended up doing some random office jobs, personal assisting jobs, that sort of thing. And I started doing content writing, more SEO type stuff on the side as a side mm-hmm. hustle. I was always decent at writing in college. It came easy to me. And I thought, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. And I ended up going full time on the freelance writing. And initially it was more lifestyle content, education, sustainability, stuff like that. But then as the legal cannabis industry started to emerge, I found myself finding assignments for CBD companies, different, you know, media outlets and flash forward, right place, right time sort of stuff. And it became my full time gig traveling around North America, covering different cannabis events and trade shows and just being really, really deep in the culture, it's been an awesome transition. And I truly believe that if I hadn't have gotten arrested, that I may not be sitting with you here today. Yeah. Because I may still be in education, maybe thinking, dreaming, 
oh, one day maybe cannabis legalization will come to Minnesota, where I'm from. Grew up in Wisconsin. But, um, yeah, I don't know that it would have forced me to do, uh, to have this journey. And so really, really interesting and happy it happened, actually, yeah. at this point. And I think we have a same or a, a similar outlook as far as that serendipity you reference where it's almost, you know, everything happens for a reason kind of mentality. Because I'm with you. That was the same the opportunity it took me to Colorado and, uh, and eventually got me on, you know, working with the cannabis with Ricardo is the same thing. Like it just kind of happens to answer it. And then the moon's aligned and maybe I didn't even recognize it because I had friends. I remember I moved there January of 2014. I've talked about this before. And that's for those that don't know, that's when adult use Colorado came online. And I had tons of friends from back in NorCal. Like we know why you're moving to, to Colorado. We know the real story because they remember me from high school. Cause I like, like, you know, I, I always, um, I've always been pro cannabis. I've never been anti, even studying criminal justice in college. I was never anti cannabis. Um, but it played, a, I'll say it played a more pivotal role when I was younger. Then I went to school, kind of like you. I was like, well, if I'm going to get into law enforcement, I, I can't consume substances or illegal, even though I think alcohol versus cannabis, which we've had enough conversations. <laughs> um, but it's so cool. I think you're right. I think everything happens for a reason for you to come in. And one thing that you've really communicated and I think is very clear, or I hope it is to at least folks in the industry and those that, that read your articles, that you are an advocate to. You're not, it's not just a job to you. To your point, like you fully embrace some people, um, they do say, you know, I work for this company, it happens to service the cannabis or the hemp industry. Um, but you and I, like that is our core, that's our passion in supporting uh, not just legalization, which you alluded to also, but the other side of that coin, you know, which is, uh, you know, which is trying to gain that acceptance and, and erase that stigma and tabooism that's associated with the plant. So, but I always love that story. Anyone that hears that story, you're a preschool. I think you get as much a shock of people like, oh, wait, you, you were studying to be a cop? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, well, yeah. <laughs> but I make more here and get less risk, have less risk of being shot at. That's the one thing I always joke around about. But anyway, it's crazy. So, and you, you did mention, I mean, this was, this was a big thing. I remember... My gosh, I'm trying to remember when we actually first met because you and I, we meet so many people and it's so interesting because I, I have this photographic memory, but you were at so many places. We ran into each other so many times that I can't remember the first time, to be honest. I think it was a show. <laughs> I honestly don't either. Like, we we're always bumping into each other and we're like lock eyes across the room. Yep. Like, yo. And... Yeah, it's funny that neither of us actually. I know, I can't even recall. And I just know you're so cool because I have some people are offended when I'm walking through and I, like rushing to get to a meeting or, so, or something. And to your point, like even if I was mid conversation, you're mid conversation, you were never one of those friends on the circuit. It's like, what the fuck? You walk right by and you knew, like, you knew obviously that I was busy or I knew that you were busy interviewing someone or, or you know, working on a piece. And uh, I thought it was so funny because we always had that understanding and always got along very well. But um, but yeah, you were you were on it. That's only I tell people. You know, and we were just talking about this over lunch, right before before our um, you know before our show just now about how there were some people on the circuit like we we're talking like David Tran, you know, Tran the man, as I always say uh, from Dope Magazine, uh, who's on to a different venture now. Um, to a certain extent, the earlier days like Jared Mursky, buddy from Wick and Mortar, uh, you know, and the Futurola guys, the Bovada guys. But I mean, as far as someone, you know, that I had always run into, at least domestically, yeah, it was crazy because you were at all the shows, all the shows, my gosh. 
Yeah, it was really nuts. And I really miss the events. I can't wait to get back out there. And I think yeah. I think your old pal Ricardo Baca once told me that I was <laughs> ubiquitous in, in the industry. And I was like, oh, that's a high honor, I think. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. Like I'm everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. An enigma. Yep. Very much an enigma. And you've always been very strategic in, you know, now you are, I think we can share, now you're in with a great company, right? And now working for Bovino, my uh, former employer, who I still love, very close to and, and work with them. Um, but yeah, you even during your freelance times, like you do whatever it took to get to a show. That, that's what I thought was interesting. You were working for another company. We won't mention the name, but um, I know it's kind of, yeah, you know, you dealt with some things, but I think it said volumes on how you're like, no, it's a show I need to go to. I'm going to that show, you know? Right, exactly. Well, and I mean, in this industry, especially, you have to keep, you know, you have to maintain that presence and especially ones that where I want to go and see people and have fun. And I know that it could be really, really fruitful and be a cool story. I want to show up. Yeah. And so I'll always fight for what I think is right, you know, whether it's in a business sense or, or otherwise. And yeah, I mean, Fortunately, I can still continue also, you know, Bovida has been really, really cool in that they can, um, or they're, they're letting me do, you know, as much writing as I want to all over the place because they truly believe in me as a person and my yeah. art and my, and my writing and they want me to go for it. And so I think that's really cool. Yeah. Because your brand, and I think they figured that out when I was there, right? You know, my brand only built their brand, your brand only builds their brand. And that's something I remind even my newest team now at Green Bros is, you know, we have a brand to represent as a business, but we all have brands to represent as individuals. And it's important, you know, to keep on top of that, even if it is just your latest certifications or education that you've done, any extracurricular to help you professionally or personally, um, but continuing to build that. And that's what I saw with you. I mean, that's how it was with me too. There's definitely a few shows I went to where, you know, I was a free agent at the time or freelance and I'd pick up a speaking gig in order for me to go. Okay, yeah, well, you know, we'll pay for you once you get here. You just need to get here. No problem. I'll do it. It's worth it. Because to your point, I knew you really need to maintain a relevance in this industry. And that's one thing I think would be a fun topic for us to segue into as well. Um, not to say that the industry is full of wannabes, but they're, they're definitely, I think there's this, there's two sides, right? And I've, I'm starting to see this more on LinkedIn. Matter of fact, Craig uh, Cannabiscapes posted something about, um, those that think they're a big deal and those that know they're a big deal, I'm paraphrasing kind of where he's coming from, right? And we saw a lot of those people on the scene. We'd see people that come in and rather be the suits from Wall Street that think it's a bunch of stoners that don't know how to run a business or, um, you know, younger investors that are coming over from dot-com that thought they had it, you know, in the bag and knew what the formula was. But we've seen a lot of people come and go. The individuals that it's not about self-preservation, but again, more so about a bigger cause and the movement as a whole, like it's safe to say you and I both, um, it's interesting. We're still here. Like that's what I think of too. I'm like, we're still here. Right. right? And I, and I can't wait to see where we're going. That's, yeah. That's the best part. And that's the, the, in, in my mind, one of the best parts of this industry is there's still so much that we don't know that we don't know about this yeah. plant and that we're discovering all the time. And I can't wait to see what's next. Yeah. It's awesome. It is. It really is. And there's a lot to come. I mean, that's one thing, you know, we try not to get into politics. Everyone has their own opinions. But in light of what did happen, uh, you know, at least in the U.S. over the last few months, it looks like the future is a bit brighter, right? Because we know, although safe to say it, to a certain extent is nonpartisan, I think now we're just getting into the details about um, righting the wrongs from the war on drugs and, and having more equality uh, and equity 
and um, being cognizant of those things. But as far as the whole legalization, it's so funny because I think that conversation's kind of come and gone. Like most Republicans and Democrats equally that I spoke to, I was out lobbying in D.C. for the Moore Act and Safe Banking Act a while back. And I mean, I was in Feinstein and Boxer's office and, you know, meeting these individuals that I grew up with in the news in California. And um, they all get it. They all see a value in it. They all understand. Some might have financial motivation versus scientific or medical motivation, or even again, um, trying to right the wrongs of the war on drugs that Daryl Gate started back in in the early 80s. But, you know, it, it is one of those things where, again, everyone makes an impact. Everyone makes a difference. And um, I think the future is bright. I agree with you. I could see, I keep saying 2022 is something's going to happen. Descheduling, deregulating, uh, you know, but it'll be one step closer to legalization. And I feel like that literally is right around the corner. And it seems like, what do you, what do you think as far as this opinion that um, just like Indian hemp back in the early days of this country, that cannabis and or hemp to a certain extent could kind of save us from what we've been going through. Do you think that's uh, safe to say? Oh my gosh. Yes, of course. I mean, I just read that Leafly Jobs report saying that oh right. cannabis now is responsible for over three, 321,000 yep. full-time equivalent jobs. And that's just full-time jobs. There's a lot of people yep. who are also, you know, maybe part-time, maybe people who are just doing delivery, you know, now and again, whatever. Yeah. And that's a lot of jobs. It is. And that's just in the U.S. So you guys know that's not taking into account other legal markets like Canada and those in Central and South America um, even technically in Europe and in the APAC. So I agree. Like that's a substantial number. And it's almost insane how they keep revising what the, um, what we call the TAM, the total available market is as far as revenue potential. Uh, 2024 keeps being kind of that year they're, they've been putting out. But even that number, just the billions just keep going up. They can't, it's just so crazy. And, and that's the thing for those that don't know, this industry is constantly, it's not just an evolution, but a revolution, I say, you know, right? right? The way we consume, which we'll get into, but the way that you consume it, the way you process it, um, the way you purchase it, you know, all those things have changed so much, right? Just in the last handful of years. It's crazy. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I was just busted 10 years ago. That doesn't feel like that much time. And now, you know, there's cannabis vending machines, you know, there's, <laughs> you can, here's one and you, you know, this most don't, but I like to st- stress it because it did get approved by, um, the FAA is you can legally travel through LAX with up to an ounce of flour on your persons. Like to your point, that wasn't even five years ago, three years ago. I mean, that just happened in the last few years. So a buddy of mine told me a story about how he was at an airport recently in a legal state. And he had an ounce of cannabis, you know, as is the, uh, the allowed, like the recommended allowed amount. Right. And, uh, the TSA people found it and they said, Oh, I actually, I don't know if you can have this. And he's like, well, actually there's like a policy. You can have this now. They called over the police. There was a cop at the airport station. Yeah. The cop pulls up it on his phone and he's like, Oh, yep. He can have it. Hands it right back. The guy (laughs) goes on his way. (laughs) Is that epic? That's, it's just it's so much has changed, you yeah. know, so much has changed. And I, I feel, you, you know, like you said, you were able to be a part of a diversion program, which is huge for those that don't know that essentially is it's a second chance versus like third strike, <laughs> three strikes you're out program like that here in California. So it's, it's not on the hardcore 
um, conservative, what we call the letter of the law. It's more so following the spirit of the law and taking into account the big picture. Again, for your case in point, my gosh, hello, you know, a school teacher, conservative, well-educated, and this can be anyone, this was just you, and for them to allow you the diversion program. And other countries do that too. I have to give some credit to the Commonwealth countries because they haven't um, commercialized their incarceration program, their prisons in those countries. So obviously their uh, motivation for financial gain comes from different places. And diversion programs offer that, right? I mean, like even average cost, cost of a DUI in the state of California, I think is now just under $13,000. That's a money grab. That's, that's a big money grab for the state, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge proponent for diversion programs now, having gone through one, because, I mean, you are literally seeing people try to transform their lives from addiction. You know, the majority of the people that were in drug court with me were in there for harder drugs, you know, heroin, yeah. methamphetamine, and, you know, were really in deep, dark places in their lives. And they were fighting to get their kids back, to get their yeah. lives back, you yeah. know, and they were getting their lives back. And it was really phenomenal to see people transform in that sort of way. And whereas, you know, sending people to prison without any sort of, you know, rehabilitation or any sort of counseling, you're only, uh, you're not helping the problem, right? Yeah, you know, the recidivism exactly. rates are so high. People just go back, they get into the system and they can't get out. And you're, you're right. It was totally, it's a second chance. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that, um, gosh, I'm going to have to, I should have been more prepared, but I actually saved, I want to say, Props out to Tom Angel because I think it was something that he put out just covering, um, as he does every day, uh, for those that don't catch up, uh, definitely do check that out um, because Tom Angel always is covering good stuff. But in one of his uh, daily emails, it was referencing, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to find it now, you guys, hold on. But essentially talking about how there's going to be less focus and emphasis on cannabis as a crime. And... I think that's exactly it. Like you were saying, the diversion program, you know, people deserving a second chance. And there are a few things that upset me, you know, back when the state of California was trying to move forward with Prop 64, which, you know, we had Prop P in San Francisco and that evolved into Prop 215, which was adult uh, for medical, adult medical use uh, in the state of California. And then Prop 64 is the adult use or rec as kind of in layman's terms, recreational use. And um, it was uh, the... California state prison system unions that were actually anti-legalization. And at first I'm like, what the heck? Like, okay, you, you can refrain from calling it a victimless crime if you'd like, because um, there could be victims, especially when something is deemed illicit and, and, you know, the collateral damage that comes from that kind of situation. But I was still a little baffled. I'm like, why would you want, you know, there's real criminals need to be. And I was like, oh, someone explained it to me, a friend who's still in that system. He's like, would we rather guard people who are arrested for having a pound of weed or for someone who was a serial killer or who was a rapist or a child abuser? So all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. This goes back to the commercialization of incarceration in this country and lesser of two evils as far as what you have to deal with. But at, the, at what cost? Right. Right. To be sucked into, and this is why I understand why people talk about this system. You know, they just kind of just simply reference it as a system. Um, because it is, it's a system that people get pulled into and, and people that shouldn't, you know, and then people get away that, that should, right? <laughs> yeah, it should be pulled into the system, you know, studied enough of those in school. So, yeah. But what do you think, um, as far as things are going from acceptance, again, you write, both of us, you know, coming from a writing background and, and being on top of the news, depending on what report you look at, it seems that the national, uh, 
you know, pro-cannabis position is anywhere from the mid-60 percentile up to like 73, 74%. So let's just call it approximately three out of four people um, or at least not against cannabis. How, how do you, how much do you think things will change? I mean, cause it's kind of just, it's patchwork right now, right? I mean, they're technically all in, we have over three dozen states that are on board on some level, a medical, adult, or both. And it's just a, literally a patchwork of rules and regulations. How long do you see if the feds move into that better place, that normalization coming across the board? Do you think that's going to take forever and a day? <laughs> no, I think that people understand a little bit better now about cannabis and more and more people are able to connect with it in a way because they know someone or maybe they themselves yeah. have now tried it. And that's the Very thing. True. So I got a lot of pushback from people in my extended family when I got into the legal industry. Yeah. Um, they're like, what are you doing? You're obsessed with marijuana. This is never going to take you anywhere. Right. And they didn't understand the plant. You know, they were not consumers. They thought it was a gateway drug. Exactly. And, you know, I would send them my articles like, oh, did you know they did this study about, you know, cannabis and autism? Did you know they did this study about, you know, this and that? Oh, that's nice. Then my aunt calls me maybe about a year ago says, now, can you get me some of that CBD? I had a friend call me and said that she feels 20 years younger. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, you see, Auntie, this is what I've been talking about this whole time. So it wasn't until she actually knew someone, yeah. I guess, aside from me, who had some sort of, like, personal connection to it, who had been helped by it, right? And they and, think of you. Isn't that the fun? Like, me, like they always yeah. think of you. They're like, right. okay, now I have something to talk to her about. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, and so I definitely... Definitely sent her some, and she liked it. She liked the capsules, though. So that is cool. That's yeah. and they make a difference. That's I just did the same thing. It was CBD, you know. So obviously, fifty state legal thanks twenty eighteen farm bill, and just took some. Um, oh my gosh! Now I have to think in the name of the company, but uh, just took some out to my team out in Vegas. I was like, just try it because there's people who are apprehensive. People, to your point, who aren't um, quite educated. They think everything is going to have a psychoactive response associated with the plant. So once you explain that to them, you know, they're more open-minded, but um, it's great when people actually do, they try it and, you know, the end result is rewarding and it's natural and it's healthy, you know, it's not something synthetic we're putting in our system. So I found that quote again, thanks to, uh, to Tom Angel's coverage uh, from Marijuana Moment, but I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, Attorney General nominee, uh, Merrick Garland, who has a great story, you guys, if you're not familiar with this individual, uh, both of his parents migrated here, and he has a huge, huge level of respect of maintaining uh, the quality and integrity of the country. I think it was just really cool. Um, but he had an interesting quote. Yeah. So he was actually talking during his Senate confirmation hearing, which I think it's very likely he gets he gets brought into office. Biden's been pretty, pretty, you know, supportive of him. Um, but when talking about uh, the topic was uh, state, you know, federal interfer interfering with the state's marijuana laws. Um, he said it is not a valuable, or I'm sorry, a useful use of limited resources and that cannabis enforcement is the perfect example, quote unquote, of racial discrimination in the criminal justice system, uh, which I'd have to agree. That's People may think it's harsh, but I talk about how um, all the way back to Salinger days, you know, essentially weaponizing this plant, uh, you know, especially towards minorities and not just African-American, but Asian and Hispanic, if you go back historically to the turn of the previous century. 
But I, I love this quote. I just have to show you. He said, here's a nonviolent crime with respect to usage that does not require us to incarcerate people. And we're incarcerating at significantly different rates of the different communities. That is wrong. And it's the kind of problem that will then follow a person for the rest of their lives. It will make it impossible to get a job. It will lead to downward economic spiral for their family. And it's so interesting, right? Because like you said, you, you, you know, you're part of a great program, but that did cross your mind. Like you're like, how this could fall because felonies do follow you, you uh, on multitude of challenges that you have, but it's one thing that follows you. It will affect your income, will affect qualifying for loans, for jobs. I mean, everything, right? So. Yeah. I mean, my mom is a felon, you know, like, <laughs> and she's had a really hard go of it for sure. And it's, yeah. you know, she's had to fight literally inch by inch for everything that she has, you know, because yeah. as soon as someone does a background check, which is, you know, common for any sort of housing job, you know, oh, anything totally. like that, yeah. you know, it comes up, boom, you know, she's cast aside. And so she really has to make a case, yeah. you know, every single time for everything, you know, it's Jeez. intense. It's crazy. You know what? I don't know if you plan that or if it's just, if it's okay. <laughs> like, or else my gosh, your internal clock for the win. You want one? <laughs> I actually have a, I have a little something, something right here. It was 420. For, I, well, that's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about 420 and she sparked up like almost right on the dot while I was busy looking at stories in my phone. I'm like, wait a minute. Gosh, she's good. So definitely. Well, let's get into that too. Let's kind of take it a little bit lighter. This is one thing I ask every show. What are you smoking? Um, this is some biscotti. Oh. Actually, uh, some, uh, oh, those grown, cookies families. Oh yeah. Grown by a good, good friend of mine. And, um, yeah, very smooth. I have a little, uh, a joint that I, a cone that I stuffed myself. I like to, I just stuff a few cones and then put them in a nice little thing. I've got a yeah. nice little container to walk around with my pre-rolls because I'm not, I have to admit I've been smoking cannabis for you know, over, over 15 years. And I've always sucked at rolling joints. I've never gotten the hang yeah. of it. I mean, even when I was in Amsterdam, you know, many, many Dutch people would sit with me. They would try to show me how to roll a joint. I just, I don't know. I guess I don't have great fine motor skills. I don't know what it is. So the, uh, <laughs> it's not easy. They make it look easy over there. My gosh. Cause uh, they roll up like nobody's business, but I, I, you always have one friend, right? We were talking about this. So we have a, a machine, really, really sweet machine. And it's actually for green bros. Sorry. And it's a joint roller, mm -hmm. not a cone filler for once. It's a joint roller. Wow. Um, and for those that don't know the pros and cons, right? So no, normally we like joints because just like, I hate to compare it to, but just like a cigarette, then it's even, right? It's even. You're not going to get canoeing. You're not going to get excessive packing towards the bomb, all the rest of it. So we're stoked. But when we describe this machine, it's like, it's literally just like that zigzag machine we had when we were younger that I can never get to work right. I always had that friend who is, I was not the quintessential stoner. I was you know, a young entrepreneur that happened to see the phenomenal margins in something I already loved, that being cannabis. But you always, ha all of you know this, you have that one friend that, that, man, he can just roll the perfect joint and literally it takes like 30 seconds. Yep. <laughs> one so, hand and all. Yes. Like, yes. Unreal. So, but yeah, it's cool. So getting into the, the, the means of consuming, um, you know, you have a couple different apparatus. I'm the same way. Like it's interesting how you know, for some of us, it's shifted though. Have you found yourself, uh, like some, like myself, kind of favoring more of edibles, tinctures, elixirs, and a little less of the smoking in light of COVID and that being, you know, obviously a disease that, uh, you know, that goes after the lungs and the respiratory system. Has that shifted or are you still? Mm, 
Not much, honestly. I mean, like, I do like an edible here and there, uh, but I still feel like I'm, cons- like, smoking, vaporizing as much, but I definitely yeah. am doing more dabbing. Yeah. That's for sure. And the vaporization seems a bit smoother, you know, a little less harsh than the combustion. Yep. Of course. Yep. I'm the same so, um, so, yes, yeah, so, like, I have my Puffco Peak Pro sitting oh, right here. I remember when you got that. So you've been test driving that for a minute. Yeah, they were nice enough to send me one. Shout, yeah. out, shout out to Jim Walsh over for sure. and the Puffco squad. And um, yeah, this new thing is just so fantastic. I mean, it's really? a huge upgrade on the original. I don't know if you ever were much of a Puffco person. I've So my tried and true is a G-Pen. Ah, got it. Okay. Yeah. okay. So so that's always been because that holds a gram. Now I do have to, same thing. We mentioned Ricardo earlier. I got a shout out to Ricardo Bacow because he did give me a phenomenal gift uh, one time. And it was uh, Firefly, the uh, 2.0, I want to say 2.0 plus, which mm-hmm. I like the Firefly. It's like the Apple phone of, you know, vape pens, but it holds a half gram. It's, I don't know, the, I don't know. There's just something different. Like my G, my G pen's just always been tried and true. It's almost like one's a Chevy and one's a Ferrari. You know, one looks really good, but kind of high maintenance. And the other one... Yeah, it's it's a truck, but at least it'll get you through the ravine and across the highway if you need right. to. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's always tried and true. So, but yeah, for me, um, I have shifted. It's a little bit being home more so, and you know, I have a son who's uh, going to be ten, and and I chose to take a different route than some. You know, I educated him on uh, what I do for a living, and I've also educated him on the plant, helping him understand. Which he had some really valid questions. You know, oh, I'd um, love to hear more about that. Oh my gosh, yeah. So children look at things from a different lens, right? And so when I explain to them that's a medicine, because I am, you know, first and foremost, a medical advocate. Uh, and um, he he asked me, he's like, oh, well, but it's different than the other medicine. Like, is that? And I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm all because that other medicine is um, it's pharmaceuticals and it's made in a laboratory. So they make these, you know things with these different chemicals and it's, you know, they own the rights because it's something they make special, whereas this is something from the earth. So just like I I explained to him, I was talking earlier on the couch with Jeff, you know, about my apple cider vinegar. I love apple cider vinegar with uh, turmeric and ginger. I'm like, those are natural. You know, these are herbal medicines. This is Eastern medicine versus Western. So I'm explaining it all to him. So he's very, very understanding. But having said that, I still, um, I don't consume around them. I just don't, you know, I, I used to go out in the garden, you know, especially during the season and yeah, I'd, you know, take my piece out and, and hang out out there with my vape pen. But, um, I have found myself shifting more towards edibles, you know, but it is a different high. It's like, yeah, you compare almost like a horror movie, <laughs> this is right. like a love story versus a horror movie, climatic versus anticlimactic, but it's so true. I, people don't realize, you know, the, the uptake, the absorption rate is up to 40% through mm-hmm. your lungs. So when you smoke it or vape it, you know, you get this right on the front end, this quick, quick coming up. And usually that hits you within 20 minutes and, you know, most highs, a few hours for Peter's off. Um, edibles are, are very anticlimactic in the fact that, you know, obviously almost, and we hate to compare it to alcohol, but the way that we absorb, right? We all have, yeah. you know, d- different rates of absorption and, you know, different tolerance levels, all the rest. But even having, uh, you know, the, the certain uh, elements on how you absorb and process things, and so, you know, for some people, usually onset's like 45 minutes. And that can last three to four hours. And for a lot of people, they're just like, I don't have time for that. I just want to get a quick high and <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and, get back to it. And some people, it lasts a lot longer. Actually, this literally, 
this conversation came up last night oh, wow. with my friend. Um, we were talking about it. I was telling her a story about an ex-boyfriend of mine who doesn't really consume cannabis that much. He had in the past, but he asked, he was curious about gummies. Oh, okay. So, um, and, you know, he has a pretty high level job, you know, so, and he was like, okay, maybe one night after work, I'll try a gummy. So he did 10 milligrams. Uh-oh. I, I, yeah, I, I know. 10, I, w- I really should have been like. Start slow, go low. Yeah, you know, because, and it's funny, and we'll talk about this in a second. I want to bring it up too, and I want your opinion, but side yeah. note. And he told me he ate it around 7 p.m. at night. Okay. And he hit me up the next day and was upset because it was noon and he was at work and he was still high. Oh my gosh. And he was like, what did you do to me? Like, what is this? And I was like, I am so sorry, you know? And yeah. P.S., you should have taken it out on Saturday. But, you know, like, <laughs> Just in, hind- in hindsight. But that's the, but here's the question I want to have that I want to ask you, the side note. I feel, and I think that maybe now that the industry's grown a little bit, um, people are more hip to this, but really 10 milligrams is recommended dosage is far too high for a beginner. I mean, and, and I know that we've talked about this in the yeah. past, you know, and I know that you're huge on the start low, go slow, yeah. but I really think that the, you know, the bud tenders and the retail staff need to be a little bit more educated about that and, yeah. and asking people like, Hey, have you ever consumed? Have you ever tried an edible, you know, even 2.5 milligrams, you know, start there. Absolutely. And I really think that the onus is on a lot of the retail staff to help educate the consumers, especially the the new folks who are coming up, and so yeah, I just wanted your opinion about that. No, I lo- it's it's a hot topic for me because there's some people, you know, I have a, a friend on LinkedIn just posting, you know, should they really be able to regulate? Should there really be a cap? Yada yada yada. You know, there's not a cap on how many fits of of vodka I can buy, or there's not a cap on how many twelve packs of beer I can buy. Well, yeah, but to your point, that's something again. I'd say a vast majority of the populace has experimented with alcohol well before the legal age. So they have an idea of what that onset is and what the impact and, you know, long-term, short-term effects are, right? Cannabis, to your point. Now, everyone does have an endocannabinoid system. We've talked about this before. You know, you've got the receptors. So you're designed to be able to consume, to uptake, as we say, you know, the substance. But everyone is very much different, which is the first thing when you were telling the story about your friend— I was like, okay, well, that was probably after dinner. And if he ate a really big meal and ended up going to bed around 9 or 10 when his body was still processing it because he has a high-level job, so he probably has to get up early for work. You know, by the time that that edible was even starting to be broken down in his system, he was already asleep. And then we all know, you know, obviously your metabolism, everything slows down when you're sleeping. It's a time of rest. So it's going to take that much longer for it to process. And if he hadn't taken or rarely had taken before, yeah, I could see it. I mean, I could see it being hours. That happened to me. I had a friend, good friend, Erica, grew up with. She is my fellow class clown. And we were in San Francisco one night, just catching up, old friends. And I said, oh man, where I'm staying, it's kind of loud. I don't I don't know if I'm going to fall asleep. I'm just like, oh, here, I've got this. And it was, um, I think it's Corova. Corova's the cow, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. love those guys. Love yep. your product. But it, but it was definitely a medical grade, like dark chocolate brownie. And I just had a bite, a bite at midnight before bed. And I, I felt it until noon the next day, literally. Oh, man. Yeah, it just zonked me. Wow. So, But I agree with you, you know, pretty much every legal market, except for Oregon, I think Oregon's 15 milligrams for single dose, um, or at least they were when they first, first kicked off. Maybe they dropped it down to 10. I feel it should be five. If you totally. were to look at, and I'm with you on the microdose. Everywhere I go, oh, I'd love to do a shout. Uh, I think it's Mary's. I was up in South Washington, dreaming about the Northwest, but I was up there visiting a, a local dispensary, uh, great dispensary. But um, they had Mary's 
uh, mints and these things were 2.5s. Love them. Mm. Love them. Because 2.5 to me is like a four ounce glass of wine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that nice mild. If you want a, a little more, then you double down. If you want to, you know, take it up a notch, maybe do three. But I love how I could level up. And it does keep my tolerance low, which is something to be said too. Because so you all know, just like other things, you know, you, you need to be cognizant of your, you know, your tolerance. And sometimes people take what we call tolerance breaks, 30 days of non-consuming, which is tough because there is a bit of a side effect, you know, still arguable on who you talk to and if it's addictive, but definitely habitual. So for people who do have, I mean, there's friends, plenty of my friends that it's before they go to bed, you know, take a bong rip or take a hit before they go to bed, get a good night's sleep. But yeah, I definitely think at, at most five milligrams. And that's what I tell people to start low. Yeah, I think five is a really safe bet. And even for a lot of people, because people talk to me about it all the time who've never really consumed cannabis, I say even, you know, even a five milligram take just a tiny, tiny bite because you just yeah. don't know. And, yep. you know, I'm sure you've been there where you have, yeah, you know, you're high the next day or you have like a very unpleasant experience. You get nauseous. You know, I had a yeah. very, very bad flight one time where I ate oh, too no. much edibles the, <laughs> before I got on the oh, plane. Man. Yeah, that motion. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was ugly. <laughs> oh, man. And I know a few friends like that. I just brought that up on another call. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, it's, um, I've been fortunate not to, too much of bad experiences, but I always do love endorsing, you know, those companies that are cognizant of that. Because to your point, I agree. On the front line, the people have the final decision. Again, we hate to compare, but same with alcohol. I mean, uh, you know, look at Tito's because I used to, I don't drink anymore, but when I did, it was usually like vodka and lemonade or vodka tonic or something. And Tito's came out of nowhere. You know, they literally, they were a disruptor in the vodka industry. I mean, even Grey Goose and Chopin, they tested two points above Goose for crying out loud. And this is, was a handcrafted, now they've scaled up supply and demand, but was just this little handcrafted distillery down in Texas that's making vodka. Texas vodka, really? Like if anything, maybe tequila, but you know, they had a phenomenal... They wouldn't have been as successful if not for the front line. They had great marketing and all the rest of it. We're genuine. We're class. Okay, yeah, you know, same thing as Sam Adams did with where he started. And he's one of the biggest macros um, short of, you know, Anheuser-Busch and, and Coors. But that's the thing with Tito's is, yeah, it was literally the fact that the people on the front line, the bartenders were like, hey, we got this mid-shelf, but dude, it, it drinks as good as a top shelf. So I agree with you that it really is... Uh, I like to call them cannabis consultants, but as most people call, you know, bud tenders, I think it is the onus of the bud tenders. That's the first thing they should ask is, have you consumed before? And if the answer is, I haven't consumed since, chances are they're, they're first timers. If it hasn't been since, fill in the blank, high school, college, you know, when I got married 20 years ago, whatever, chances are. And, and then the potency has gone up, just so you all know. The potency of cannabis in this country, even up until the 80s and 90s, was in many instances sub-double digits. I mean, we're 60s, 70s, you were looking at 4 to 6% average. You started jumping to 6, 8, 9, started getting into the 10s, into the early 80s. Um, you know, but the gen- geneticists, people are just appreciating, appreciating the, the cultivars they had, not really doing what we're doing today. But now the average average THC percentage, not that it's all about THC, but that is where you get the most heady, is 21%. Wow. So you imagine someone from the 60s that it's literally three to four X what they consumed in high school. And they're like, oh yeah, I used to blaze. I smoked a bowl before every class. Not a bowl of this, buddy. No. Right? No, it's funny that you say that because someone I know who's about to retire, 
He says, um, I can't wait to retire. I want to try I want to try cannabis again. I haven't done it since the 60s. But my grandson tells me this stuff that you guys do nowadays is awfully strong. Is that true? I said, yes. <laughs> yes, they were right. Be careful. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, it really is. So you all know that. Just just be, be cognizant of it again. You know, because a lot of people, it's all about... T- and I don't want to stereotype. I've met some really, really phenomenal bud tenders that are yes. so educational and yes. I, I, I applaud them and I tip them fat because I'm like, you are the kind of people. And I don't even traditionally, I have not personally represented brands outside of ancillary. You know, I've represented weed maps, Bovida, now green bros. Those all are non plant touching companies. Their right. product touches the plant, but not, not the people. So I've always been ancillary, but I definitely, definitely, uh, love to promote that education on the front line. But I have to say, it does start with the supply and demand. And I've had this conversation with friends. Um, one concept I had in, in anyone, I probably won't do it in my lifetime, but which is why I don't mind sharing it. One thing that I have told a few friends that are vertically integrated, I said, hey, I'm all just a thought, but why don't you take a few of the best cultivars, uh, strains, layman's terms, you know, take a few of the best cultivars from each generation and make that your crop. So when people come in from the 70s, you know, have Maui Waui and, and you know, Acapulco Gold, right? And then people that, that are more so from the 80s, early 90s, maybe, you know, Northern Lights. Tie stick. Tie stick. Yeah. And then get a little late. We'll get into the late 90s, to Blue Dream, Sour Diesel. And then for the modern day, you can have your your cakes and cookies and pies. That they'd be, and then... Keep the THC levels on point too with those true cult. And talk to a friend like Kevin Jodry. Like you guys, you can find these genetics or, or talk to the guys, um, you know, at Fiddler's Green. Like there's plenty of geneticists or seed banks up in Northern California that have some of these classic cultivars. And you could do this. And like then when someone comes in, like this gentleman you're speaking of that hasn't smoked in 60 years, truth be told, 50 years conservatively. You know, you have something that's more on par with what he's accustomed to instead of going, yeah, I know you want to smoke it, but you really only need like a quarter gram. I mean, how are you even supposed to, that's not even a one hitter. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So it's definitely one of those things that, again, you know, just really being aware of and, um, you know, doing your homework is what I'd say. But uh, yeah, I, I've mentioned several times Julie's company, Sweetgrass Kitchen out in Colorado. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I always liked them because of a few things they did that uh, the Dixies at the time were not doing or any of the other uh, edible companies. But for one, they weren't doing oil. Uh, They were doing butter, which for those who don't know, our body uh, breaks down the fats better in butter than they do in oil. It's just how our body's designed. So the uptake, uh, you know, the absorption rate is going to be different with butter versus oil. Uh, the other is, unlike most who were just, you know, they're just looking for the oil. They're just trying to get the raw so they could bring it into their recipe. They actually did grow their own or contracted with uh, a farm that grew it for them, but they always used the same strain. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. They always used uh, Sueño, which Sueño, for those that don't know, that's a cross between Blue Dream and Sour Diesel, the top two most selliness of the first 20 years of the century from 2000, 2020, they buy, they still beat out cookies on say, obviously time frame, but they still beat out as far as being top. So they always use Sueño. Mm-hmm. So you had that consistency every time you, so every time I had one of those, but she came out with something, I want buttermelts, if I remember. And they had, it was almost like this play on cocktails because I mean, and we're again, this is going back. This is like 
2015, 2016. So this is when everyone was like, why the hell do you do low dose? You can still do medical. You can still sell 1,000 milligram chocolate bars. What the? F so they were doing this. And I remember they had like a mojito and they had like a pina colada. They had these different flavors, a lemon drop, which I freaking loved. But they're just these little like, you know, maybe half inch by half inch cubes, almost like kind of like a lozenge that melt in your mouth. And again, it's a perfect dose. And they killed it. They killed it with, you know, the, the conservative dads, the soccer moms, you know, that, that generation. It's like, I want something different than alcohol. I don't have time for the hangover. I don't want to be drinking in front of my kids all the time, you know? So there, I, I still think there's a niche for low dose and microdosing. Yeah, I know that um, like the breeze mints, right? Yes. Like 2.5, oh like my those God. are yeah, super breeze, popular with, my, with the microdose people. Yeah, yep. definitely. Yeah. Like they're, breeze, they're killing it. They are. Yeah, you know, I've heard, and I and I think I agree. You know those Kana treats? Have you ever had yeah. those? That those I probably I think shout out to Kana treats just because I've always had a consistent experience, and I hear that across the board. Yeah, that they have the most consistent gummy and a fast acting because their uh, bioavailability is crazy. I guess they use yeah. nanotech. So it's like, the nanotech. It was a buzz a few years ago, but it's really applying. That uh, Dixie just launched in, in partnership with another company, a, a nano that I think the onset's 15 minutes. What? Yeah. That's, that's you're on par with alcohol now. I mean, that is crazy that you would, I mean, it's super impressive and it's, it's tough. It's just because, you know, for those that don't know, uh, you know, where the cannabinoids exist is in an oil-based substance versus a water-based. So unlike alcohol, where the absorption is so easy and instantaneous because we absorb water-based things, um, oil, it's not the same. So there's a delay because of the length of time that your body needs to process it. So that's why we're geeking out because um, that bioavailability, as they call it, so the amount that can be uptaked and how quick it can be uptaked into the body, um, that's a factor. But it's cool because now, like, that's what I loved about, um, again, we're plugging all that, but Eric Knudsen, buddy of mine, owns Keef Cola. He had the Keef mm, Soda. Yes, love it. He had the sparkling water. Mm -hmm. Oh my, I drink with my buddies. Like, that's fine. Now they're drinking beer. I'm drinking a drink and we're kind of drink for drink based on the, you know what I mean? Yeah, you have it's, that social lubricant as they yeah. call it. Yeah, like, and I was actually going to ask you about the beverages because I assumed because you don't drink alcohol that maybe the beverages would be a good option for you. Yeah. So like, what, yeah, like. They definitely are. That's, um, I, I love the the sparkling drinks. Uh, you know, there's there's several, it's it's tough right now because it is market to market. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, Keith, you know, I'm a fan of the companies that go MSO because for one, they're typically doing something right. But for two, they really try to bring the consistency. And I know, there will be people that are listening that argue and say, well, you can't have the same cultivars. Never mind the genotype. You're going to have a different phenotype from Colorado to California. 100%. But at least starting with the same geno and then having the same recipe for that end product, rather it be a chocolate bar or a soda, that's really where it's at. Because anyone that's making a quality item right now, that you can't really taste that much. That's what I love. You really can't taste much. Like you were talking about the breeze, especially their low dose. You can't even taste it. Their cinnamon, forget about it. Like, it's just a mint. You know, I just got, I wish I knew the name. I can't remember. I just got them on special from a dispensary when I was out in Vegas. And it, oh my God, it was on sale. It was crazy, guys. It was like, it was 10 pieces, 10 milligrams each, 100 milligram pack, $8 on sale. I mean, that's cheaper what? than one drink. That's a screaming that's cheaper deal. Cheaper $8. than a beer. Yeah. I should have bought more. I only bought two. Oh my gosh. They're perfect and they're so consistent. Like they're so, and the onset was progressive versus kind of like a late peak. And I was totally content, but I, I do like the drinks. I like the drinks because your point that that whole, you know, social lubrication, there's actually a, they're probably not open right now, um, but a place that doesn't get enough attention 
for those that aren't aware, you always we were talking about at lunch the the green you know the green the emerald triangle, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely a, a big deal up in Northern California. Um, another place that is kind of a stepchild to that is called Grass Valley. And that's right next to uh, Nevada City, Nevada County, which is Northern California, right outside of Sacramento, and you know this. Some of the some of the most winningest um, strains that have come out of Northern California for the competitions have come out of this area. Well, they have a like a like a sarsaparilla bar, if you will, downtown Nevada City, and they just do elixirs. Now, I have friends that go in there and they mm-hmm. they do non-alcoholic elixirs, and then they just take out a little bit of their tincture, drop it in, and and that's their drinks with the guys on the town. Kind of thing, and I, I I can't wait for the future of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't wait either, because it's just for me, it, it's so much easier. Again, I just don't have the time. Like you and I are the same way. Like we are machines. Like we just work, work, work. We're always doing something. People are like, how are you doing two shows and doing a full time job and writing? It's like we just do it. You get it done. Yeah. But having said that, four hours of fun, eight hours of hangover, I don't have time for. No way. <laughs> like you want to go out, just like you did. Like you you. Like you were saying, you go to shows, you want to have fun. So you all know our definition of fun is getting work done while being with people we like. So so yes. us go, like we aren't literally <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's my favorite song. No, it's okay. Good music in the background. The person I'm talking to, this is someone who's beneficial or has a future relationship that'll be advantageous for us. But in those instances, like let's talk about MJ Biz really quick. I know I have a few more minutes. Yeah, no, definitely. But MJ Biz, right? Is that not it? I mean, I'd be working 18 hour days. Yes. And everyone's like, oh my God, you get to go to Vegas and you're staying at da 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 da. And I'm like, no, you really don't understand. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? No, I work harder at shows than I do any other time because you are literally on your feet the whole time. You're networking, you're hustling, you're running into people, you're having meetings on the fly. Yep. You know, it's go, 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 go. And it's a lot of fun because everyone's just so awesome yeah. to your point. Yeah. Good like, vibes for sure. Yeah. You know, and that's, and it's cannabis, you know, of course it's going to be amazing. Yep. That's the thing, yeah. you know, it's like, so, but yeah, no doubt about it. Like it's a, it's a hustle. It is. Yeah. It really is a hustle. And in the show I was referencing you guys, you know, it's uh, folks over at MJ biz daily uh, and Holland, the biggest domestic show uh, is MJ biz con in Las Vegas. And this is an annual show. First it was, in October, then moved to November, then December. Now it's back, believe it or not, to October. I heard this. Yeah, it's going to be the this. week of October 18th. So Very exciting. I think the meetings are 18th, 20th, 18th, 19th, and then the, the floors open 20th, 21st, 22nd. I think that's it. Um, but anyway, yeah, curious. So I reached out to them because we're going to be there. You guys are going to be there. Of course. I'm, I'm talking to your, you know, to Jennifer over there, and she's, she's working it. And... Um, I asked him, I'm like, you guys, what do you expect? Because their turnout, so you all know, it was over 30,000 uh, in 2019. That was their biggest year yet. And make sure that you mention, too, that that's only 30,000 people at the show, not oh, to yes. mention the tens of thousands who come in just for oh, the yeah. meetings and whatnot. So, but go ahead. Yeah, the, the cumulative year is spot on. I think the cumulative <laughs> number for all in on people that were in Vegas in or around that time related to campus industry is closer to 50,000. They yeah, said, you're I spot so. on. There are people who come, especially uh, PEs, what we call private equities. The PEs and retailers, a lot of them, they just come for meetings outside or or the after parties, which is where the real work, yeah. <laughs> to your point, where the real work gets done because that's where the real deals get done. But, um, but yeah, circle. as far as the floor, yes. Yeah. But as far as the floor, uh, yeah. so I was talking to him, I'm like, well, what do you, and it sounds like they're thinking maybe half, which is what mm. I expect. They're like anywhere from half to a 66% cut, like, you know, 10 to 15,000 people. 
Um, masks, I'm assuming, or I guess we'll yeah, see. I would imagine how masks vaccinated and all, we all are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would think still masks and all that. You know, I am going to be intrigued to see what the after party events. There's going to be a lot of outdoor spaces. That, mm. think, thankfully, October is still, you're still in the 60s. Yeah, like so it's not. Coat, it'll be, you know, maybe a little yeah. bit, a little bit chilly, but it'll be nice. So yeah, yeah outside, really rooftops, nice. whatever. Yeah. But yeah. the one I'm really, and, and I don't know, again, we'll see. There's all these things up in the air and you have to get out there too. And now you can with Bovida. Or I'll make sure that you do with Bovida is Spanibus. I mean, oh, that really yeah, is. I've been dying Because that is legit 50,000 attendees. Now, granted, uh, majority are uh, consumers, you know, mm-hmm. not industry. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's call it, you know, 10, 15,000 are industry. But that is the one show. I mean, still props out to Canafest and Canatech and Mary Jane and Product Earth and Autopot and and Lyft and uh, you know NCIA. But Spanibus, oh my God! I if I need to catch up with anyone in my network from anywhere in the world, South America, Canada, obviously the U.S., um, all across Europe because it's down in Barcelona, even from Asia and Australia, New Zealand markets, all of them come out. For Spanibus. And I don't think anyone needs an excuse. So anyone that doesn't know, <laughs> Barcelona is, I mean, since the Romans and the Greeks, everyone that's come through that that city, it's it's essentially been their, you know, their Mediterranean bliss. Um, and it's a really laid back. Let me tell you, I was just telling you guys earlier. Remember I was talking Yeah, about, we are talking about it at lunch gosh, about how two awesome hours it is. For dinner. Yeah, it's like forever to have a meal because everyone's so manana manana. But, um, uh, but that is a show. That's yeah. Those are the ones that I'm looking forward for for coming back and actually – you know, being able to attend and be a part of because it's just, I know you and I both, I think we've had a challenge with this whole virtual show shit. It's just not the same. <laughs> it's just not the same. No. It's just not the same quality. And, and there's something to be said to your point, you you know, jokingly circle, but circle's so true. I mean, that was some of the most important people I met. There's people in Europe that there's one guy, owner of roles, great guy, character, total character, Eastern Bloc. And he would not talk business until I sat down and had a shot in a spliff with him. <laughs> it was just, that, that was his requisite to make sure, I guess I wasn't KGB or, you know, <laughs> something else. But, um, but yeah, there's something to be said about in person. And I think what comes out, I think it's going to be a, a new space. We were talking about earlier how quite a bit of money left, you know, the industry in uh, the summer of what we determined as, I think, 2019. 2019 yeah, kind of the bubble was burst. Just, that yeah. was when the bubble, yeah, it just got started deflating. Um, we're seeing money come back in, like you said, a lot of mergers, acquisitions, which is that's why I keep telling people, if you don't follow me on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, slash Lance Lambert, uh, Lance C. Lambert, sorry. And I talk about things like this, but, you know, seeing these mergers and acquisitions up in Canada, seeing, you know, people like Wrigley's company, he's looking to go <laughs> public IPO with that. I mean. Yeah, that's nuts. And SPACs are going crazy. Yes. Like all across the board, not SPAC. just in Canada, yes. but everywhere. It's nuts. That is when I saw that from the guys at WeMap. Shout out to Chris Beals, uh, current and best CEO, I'd say, for that company at this point. Um, I just, you know, sent him kudos a handful of weeks back when WeMap's announcer SPAC. That's big. This is what, you know, again, I talk about tea leaves and tarot cards, but the writing's on the wall. Something's happening in the next few yes. years. And when you see people go from private, you know, public sector to private sector like Weiner, like, Okay, something's yeah, it's going down for real, as as the kids say. So, yes. yeah, I'm interested to see what the future holds. You know, we're manifesting big things out here. Yes, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> and the OGs and those that hung in, hung in there. You know, I think that's where it's going to make an impact for us. Is definitely still being a part of it and and you know staying relevant. I think it's kind of a good full circle. Is you know for us to really stress 
if you are in the industry or looking to get into the industry, and no matter what level you're at, you guys, my neighbor, uh, he did, he grew when he was a little bit younger. He's still young. He's in early, mid-20s. So he's 24, 25 now. But um, he went away, he got into construction. He's been busting his back. He got an opportunity trimming with the company down here in Southern California in the Valley. I'm like, take it. Get in where you can. Get in now. Because it's almost like it's going to be a reset when things go federal, in my opinion. There's mm-hmm. so much that has to be standardized and normalized. We need GMP. We need best practices, you know. And that many more opportunities are going to come about. But the people that are on the front line now, not just because you put your neck out or came out of the proverbial green closet, like like obviously Rochelle and myself, but what knowledge you're learning now, that gives so much more opportunity when things open up. And not just domestically, internationally, if, especially if you're coming from California, you know, you've, you've definitely got a leg up because people know about the Emerald Triangle. People know about Humboldt, Trinity, Eureka, right? So it's all good stuff. Well, Rochelle, this is awesome. It's been so cool having you in, getting to hang out. Thank you so much. Friends for life. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Definitely. We'll catch up next time. Thank you everyone again for listening into Cure to Consumption. We look forward to catching up with you next week. All good vibes. Thanks again. Bye-bye. listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.